Well, hey, good morning. It is um, a, a privilege and an honor, blessing, brings me joy to be here with you uh, to worship the King, to celebrate uh, Jesus who came, right? Came in a cradle, died on a cross, and we look forward to the day that he comes back with a crown to be our King and to restore the world to the image that he first gave it in creation. And so, um, man, I'll come and celebrate a guy like that. That's good. Grateful to be here with y'all this morning. And I'm just grateful to be a part of uh, this church family. And, uh, man, it, it brings me joy on days like today, not just seeing kids and, and good grief. That many four- and five-year-olds owning it up here. Uh, owning it. And that's easy, right? I uh, love to see their young faith being formed, but also families. Man, I, I, I just, uh, so good. So good to see so many serving and, and being a part of what God's doing here in our midst in Shelby County. So, uh, if you're new with us, we're glad that you're here. And um, we hope that you feel welcome and included. And one of the ways that we uh, like to do that, we, um, uh, we use something called the Bible app for our sermon notes. And, um, and so you can download that if you've got a smartphone. And uh, all the notes are in there. You can go to the events section and find it. Um, and so we encourage you to, to do that. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1. We're going to talk a little bit about joy. So uh, we go back to John Christ, right? Um, joy doesn't come from the people on your Christmas card list. Amen? It doesn't come from the people on your Christmas card list. It comes from Jesus. And uh, we think a lot of that guy here. And because he is not only a guy, but he is God. And, uh, and so we're going to talk a little bit about how um, we realize the joy that comes from him and, uh, and how it's already been given to us. So Luke chapter 1, if you want to find that, while you're finding that, uh, I start like I usually do, right? Share a little bit of a story and how God has taught me through the years and uh, challenged me in, in my own weakness. So when I was in second grade, um, <laughs> Actually, let me go back a step further. In kindergarten, I had five people in my class. That's the kind of small town I grew up in. Four girls and one boy. I had two girlfriends that year in kindergarten. <laughs> it's awesome. First grade, we moved up to nine kids in my class, and there was one other boy. It was great. Like, I had a friend for the first time, guys. It was amazing. When I was in second grade, another one of the local elementary schools, uh, the building was condemned. And so uh, our small little community went through uh, maybe the reverse of what our community is going through right now in some ways, and they made a decision to combine or to merge uh, four elementary schools together and form one elementary school. And so in second grade, I went from having nine kids in my class with two boys to in third grade, uh, there were four classes of third graders, all with 20 or more uh, kids. And uh, there was a lot of stress in that. There was, a lot of, like, there was a lot of excitement, but there was a lot of stress in that. And uh, I can remember, um, I was so excited because I was going to have other guys to play with. <laughs> like, it seems like a simple thing, but I was really excited and looking forward to that. But I quickly learned that, that I just wasn't part of the circle of friends that had grown up playing together. That was a reality, right? I, I don't hold that against anyone, and, and I became friends with so many of those guys. But... Uh, you know, we would go out to recess, and for the first time, there was enough guys to play, like, three-on-three basketball. It was amazing. And yet, um, when we would go to pick teams or when we go to play, uh, I was never chosen, not because 
for you know not because of any reason other than the fact that nobody knew who I was. And in those days, I, I could have been coaxed into doing just about anything to satisfy that desire to be accepted. And in fact, I, I did just about anything. I said words that I didn't usually say. I walked in ways I didn't usually walk. You've seen all the elementary kids do this, right? Like you get a little, yeah. I even played basketball in ways I didn't usually play basketball. I did whatever I could to, to be included because inclusion was the only thing that I wanted. And, and looking back with the help of the Holy Spirit now, a whole bunch of years later, right, I, I can see that those were early battles between the old me that, that didn't have Christ in my life and the new me that was trying to be remade by him. And the reality is, is that in, in life, I let the old me win a lot. I let the old me win a lot. It reminds me of a, a passage in James 4, verses 1 through 3. It says, what's the source of, of wars and fights among you? Don't they come from your passions that wage war within you? You desire and you do not have. You murder and covet and you cannot obtain. You fight and you wage war. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and don't receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The ripe age of whatever I was, nine, in third grade, that kind of battle was beginning to happen inside of my life. But I'd be lying if I said those battles stopped, right? Like, they still happen all the time. I want to be invited to sit at a certain table. I want to be included at, at certain meetings or at certain parties. I wish I was invited to hang out with certain friends. As parents, I watch as my kids don't get included in something, and there may be zero impure motives at all. Like, it's just life. It happens and yet my heart still aches when I watch my kids not be included, right? So in this Advent season, this season of Christmas, we've talked about the power of hope that calls us to right living. Dave last week challenged us to, to pave the way for peace in our lives. And today we're going to explore this idea of joy, where it really comes from and what we do when we don't realize the joy that we already have in Christ. So with that, let's read together from Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 46, and we're going to read through 55. I love this passage because this is Mary's uh, overflow, her expression of her joy, and it comes out in the form of a song. It says, and Mary said, my soul praises the greatness of the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant." Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed, because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and His name is holy. His mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear Him. He has done a mighty deed with His arm. He has scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He has toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering His mercy to Abraham and His descendants forever just as he spoke to our ancestors. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word that's true, that rings true in our hearts and our minds, that uh, tells us the story of people just like us who are battling for faith and for joy, who are battling to be made right by the precious blood of Jesus. And so may we see Christ today as we think about his mother, Mary, and her overflow of joy that came out in this song. May it inspire us to be people of joy. We pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So when I wanted to be included way back long ago on those playgrounds, I was willing to trade long-term effects on who I was in order to be included right then. In other words, I would trade my character for inclusion, say words that I shouldn't have said, do things that I shouldn't have done. And in a similar way, many of us, we trade in joy for the pursuit of happiness. We trade in joy for the pursuit of happiness. And you always say, well, what's, what's the difference, really? Happiness, you see, is, is external. It's dependent upon outside things or people to bring me positive feelings. It happens outside of me. But joy, on the other hand, is internal. Its source is not from this world. And we trade in our joy for happiness. See, this happiness, it, it satisfies us. It feels good for the time being, but, but joy, joy fulfills. It fills us up from the inside out. There's a, a finality and a fullness to joy that happiness just can't touch. And as we engage the, the biblical Christmas story, it's important to make this distinction because when we think about Mary, she had a lot of joy that we see welling up and overflowing in this song and in this passage. But, but I'm not convinced that she would have had much happiness. Think about it. Mary didn't have many reasons to be happy on this Christmas. She was a pregnant virgin. And neither one of those things, to me, sounds like much fun. I've never been pregnant, but I'm told it's not very fun. Not, not a very happy thing most days to be pregnant. But on top of that, she's a pregnant virgin, and people don't understand that. She's highly misunderstood, and, and how she's trying to explain this miracle that's happening inside of her, it's, it's crazy. People think she's a lunatic. Friends probably going out the door left and right. She's a female in a, in a male chauvinistic society. That doesn't sound like much fun either. <laughs> doesn't sound like something that would really make me happy. She's a small town girl, right? She's from a small village in the middle of nowhere with very little influence in the larger cities that are happening. I mean, Mary didn't have many reasons to be happy. And I wonder how many of us, if we were in that spot, would say, you know what? Forget this. Forget this. I'm going to do what makes me happy. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to exercise my right to make a choice, right? How many of us would do that? Now today, you and I, we are on a journey not to be guilted into feeling joyful. <laughs> That's not the goal. But rather, we're on a journey that causes us to consider how we respond to the lives that we have. Because the reality is, is that I've yet to meet a joyful person that hasn't experienced pain or defeat or hardship or struggle. I haven't met that person. Maybe you have. I'd love to meet them. I'd love to hear about how great their life is. And yet, it's those people of joy that we admire. It's not their affliction that we admire. It's not the hard things that they've gone through. It's their response to that affliction. Lisa Beamer was pregnant when her husband Frank called her from his pilot's seat on Flight 93 on September 11, 2001. 
Imagine being pregnant, you know your husband's flying a plane, and he calls, and you hear his voice. In that phone call, he secretly shared that his plane had been hijacked. And shortly after that conversation with his wife, Frank plunged the plane he was flying into the Pennsylvania countryside. No one survived the crash. And yet there were hundreds in the building that was targeted that lived because of his decision. No one takes joy in their affliction. But when Lisa was asked about how she felt about her husband's courageous act, she responded, it made my life worth living again. Do what? It made my life worth living again. You see, we admire Lisa not because she lost her husband. That's sad, and, and it's, it's grieving. It grieves us as we think of her and, and her fatherless children. We admire her, rather, because of her remarkable response to enormous loss. It wasn't that she didn't hurt or that she didn't grieve. It wasn't that her days were easy. It wasn't that she was happy. It was that she clung to the joy and purpose of life given to her by God. It made her life worth living again. Her purpose was made new. But you see, it's often in these moments of loss that that we, in our fallen nature, in our weakness as humans, trade in our joy for our happiness. We give up on the joy that we have in Christ for a hit of happiness. We give up on our marriage because we're just not happy. We're We're just not happy. And so instead, we seek happiness in online excursions that give way to meeting up in the real world. We quit parenting our children because they just seem like a lost cause. There is nothing about parenting my children that makes me happy. They're little terrors. They're cute up here, but you should see them at home. And so instead, we seek happiness in a glass of wine that eventually gives way to a bottle of wine. Or maybe we seek our own happiness at the expense of our kids' identity. We trade in joy for happiness. You know, in this room, there are more stories than what one person could know. But without doubt, there are stories for many of us where we've lost babies, spouses, parents, grandparents, jobs, opportunities. We've lost tremendous things in this room. And in the face of those difficulties, it often seems too painful to cling to joy. That's too much work. That's asking too much. That's too hard. And so in those moments, we trade in our joy for a hit of happiness, an escape, a habit that helps us relax, a selfish pursuit. And those things, they bring a moment of happiness, but nothing that fulfills like pure, true joy. And so the question that I would like us to ask and and think about and explore as we look at Mary's song this morning is, how can we stop doing that? How can we stop trading in the joy of Christ for a hit of happiness? How can we cling instead to the true and fulfilling joy that Jesus alone gives? And so we wonder, how did Mary do that? This pregnant virgin, how did she end up welling up and overflowing in a song of joy? 
How while facing so much difficulty, not to mention like just the everyday difficulty of being pregnant, did Mary write a song that expressed her joy? Two ideas that I want us to see from the passage today. The first is this. Mary realized that she had a son and a Savior. She had a son and a Savior. In verses 47 and 48, Mary sings, My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. <laughs> my God my Savior. You see, even before Christ was born, he's still in her belly. She knew that the one inside of her, her son, would also be the way that God had made to save people. And so she rejoices in God, her Savior, because he has looked with favor on the humble condition of his servant. Surely from now on, generations will call me blessed. Mary begins to reflect on this moment. The baby in Elizabeth's belly has, has jumped because of the presence of, of God. The Son of God was growing inside of her. He was the Messiah. God has chosen her in her humble corner of the world to birth the Savior of the world. But you see, she realized that he was more than just the Savior of the world. This was her Savior too. And as she realized that she was carrying not just her Son, but her Savior, she rejoiced. She returned the joy Jesus was giving her to God in song. You know, this idea of, of revelation is, is the idea that when we think about joy, joy is always there, and it, it's up to us to be, like we're waiting on God to reveal it to us. It's not that we have to, to receive it or to get it, but it's going to be revealed to us. Psalm 1611 says it this way, You reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures. Joy is revealed. It's revealed to us. It reminds me, uh, in grade school, we would do this uh, activity uh, called the Star Lab. Anybody, did anybody else do this, or is this like an Indiana elementary school thing? All right, it's an Indiana elementary school thing, so I need to explain it in great detail. So they would come into our gym, and there was like this inflatable dome. And um, like it would sit up in the middle of the gym and had this generator and it was, it was doing that. And you would get down all fours and you would crawl through this little tunnel. And then like when you crawl through the tunnel, you would come and it was opened up. And there was some kind of projection in there. And it was like all the stars of the sky. It was amazing. Um, the older you got in elementary school, you'd always make sure and sit by the girl you liked because you could hold her hand while no one was watching. I never did that. <coughs> But anyway, we would crawl inside the star lab, right? And all these stars are up there. And it just looked like, I mean, it looked like the sky. It was beautiful. It was amazing. But then the most incredible thing would happen. The instructor would crawl in, and she was like, do you see all these stars? I'm like, yeah, we see all the stars. They're great. And she was like, can you find the North Star? And I, I could never do that. And then she'd take her little laser pointer, and she'd point at the North Star. And I was like, oh, that makes sense. It's the North Star. And she's like, okay, now when you find the North Star, then you can find, and, and they'd start showing us all of these little things, right? Like, here's the Big Dipper. Here's the Little Dipper. And she was, like, outlining them with her laser. And I'm like, yep, I still don't see it. <laughs> I was like, stars, they look great. But then, after she would explain it, she would say, here, let me show you beauty of technology and computers and up on the screen like actual lines would pop up and they would connect the stars and you could see like 
all the things. Big Dipper, Little Deer, Orion's Belt, like all the things. And, and there was this moment of like, wow, like the stars make all these pictures. It's amazing. And then the lines would go away and you're like, I've, <laughs> stars, can you show me that again? I can't, I can't figure it out. Lines pop up. Wow, it's amazing. You know, so often, that is a picture of how the joy of our salvation in Christ is like. We can see that it's beautiful. We can, we can see the stars. They can guide us and point us, and we can continue to stare into them. But sometimes the joy of that salvation, it doesn't, just, it doesn't hit us. But when those lines popped up and it revealed those things, there was so much joy in what was happening. It was, it was revealed to us. And so too does God reveal to us the joy of our salvation. He has always been the guiding light in our lives, whether we recognize it or not. But in just the right moments, he reveals to us how he has lined us up with the rest of his plan to bring incredible joy into the world. You see, the beauty of it all is, is that he's revealing those things to us so that we might have joy and that we might rejoice. But even more than that, we are one of the stars that is helping to point others to the joy that they have in Christ. And oh, the pleasure of knowing that our lives are in his hand able to be used to reveal to others the joy of their salvation, which is in Christ alone. You see, the joy of Christ is always there. It may just not be clear to us. And so that begs another question. What do we do when it's not clear to us? What do we do on the days that it's hard to get out of bed or, or the days where it's hard to put a smile on our face? In Psalm 51, verse 12, David writes in a season of depression, Restore the joy of your salvation to me and sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. I want us to note, David doesn't ask to receive joy. He asks for the joy that he already has to be restored. You see, joy is already ours. It's already there. It's waiting to be revealed. But we also see from David's example here that we can plead with God to restore our joy. That we can plead with him, restore our joy. John 16, 24, Jesus says this to his disciples as he's preparing to, to take on the cross. He says, ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. Your joy may be complete. Jesus says, ask me, I want to do this for you. You see, when we plead with God for, for our joy to be restored, doing this expresses your faith and your trust that Jesus is your joy, that you know your joy is in him and that you already have it and that he will reveal it at the proper time. But it also reminds us that it is okay, more than okay, to yearn and long and plead for that joy to be restored to you. So how do we do this? How do we plead with God to restore our joy? One simple one might be to, to memorize that Psalm 51, verse 12. So that on those days, you can, you can cry out the scripture right back to him, restore the joy of my salvation, God. Restore the joy of my salvation. Another thing might be to ask each day, at the end of the day, what did Jesus do today to remind me that he is my Savior? That he is my Savior. And as we were reminded each day, that he is saving us again and again. Maybe he's saving us from something simple. He's saving us from an accident. He's saving us from a sin that we've been tripping in. Maybe he's saving us from, from failure. I don't know. 
But each day he is working in our lives and saving us. And as we are reminded of the salvation that we have in him, the joy of our salvation is restored to us. David says, restore the joy of your salvation to me. And then he says, sustain me by giving me a willing spirit. What does it mean to have a willing spirit? How do we cultivate a willing spirit? What can we do and apply in our daily lives to do that? The number one thing, turn from excuses and the victim mentality. Turn from excuses and the victim mentality. Tim Keller says it this way, life-changing repentance starts where blame-shifting ends. So often in the church, we talk about repenting, right? Like turning from who we are in our old life and, and turning to Christ and the life that he has for us. But what, what we're seeing in Keller's quote and, and what we think about in a willing spirit is that as long as we're making excuses for why we can't do things, as long as we're allowing ourselves to be the victim, we are not keeping ourselves in a position to actually turn to the God who can change all those things. We are imprisoning ourselves. If we want a willing spirit, we must turn from excuses in the victim mentality, but we must also seek to learn from God's people how their joy was restored. And if we take on a learner's attitude in place of our victim mentality, we can begin to see how the God who has already given us joy would like to reveal that joy in our lives. You can do that today by maybe coming and interacting, praying with one of our pastor elders and, and learning about how the joy of our salvation is extended to us. But another way to do that, right, is to be in community with one another, to be in relationship, to engage in a community group where you continue to walk with people and learn their stories so that at just the right moment, God can reveal the joy of your salvation through the story of someone else. Mary realized that she had a son and a savior. And that realization allowed her to not become the victim. It allowed her to, to have a willing spirit and for the joy of her salvation to be restored to her. So the question is, will you do that? Can you do that? Can you do that by pleading with God to restore your joy and cultivating a willing spirit? Mary also realized that past mercy promised her future joy. The past mercy of God promised future joy in, in spite of the circumstances that she faced today. Look back with me, if you will, at verses 50 through 55. This is part of, of Mary's song. This is, mercy is from generation to generation on those who fear him. God has done a mighty deed with his arm. He's scattered the proud because of the thoughts of their hearts. He's toppled the mighty from their thrones and exalted the lowly. He has satisfied the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering his mercy to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he spoke to our ancestors. You see, what Mary does here, she quotes a ton of scripture in these verses, and she does that to remember and honor how God had affected his mercy and his justice in the past. She can look back and see that God has a history of not only doing the right thing, but of doing something that extends mercy to those who need it most. She knew the stories of God's mercy from generation to generation. She could recall the extra 40 years in the wilderness that was the result of proud hearts. She could retell stories like God dethroning Saul and giving the kingdom to David. 
She was watching the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham right before her very eyes. God had shown mercy to humanity all throughout history, and it allowed Mary to rejoice in what the future held in spite of her current circumstances. Psalm 119, 111. David writes this, I have your decrees as a heritage forever. Indeed, they are the joy of my heart. You see, when we can cling to the truth and the promise and the word of God, and we can remember his past mercy, it gives us hope for the promised joy of the future. Mother came to the hospital where her five-year-old son was dying of lung cancer. And as she arrived, she saw the nurse, and she asked how her son was doing. The nurse replied, he's been hallucinating all morning. It's probably the medicine he's on. There's nothing to be alarmed about. But he, he's just been saying over and over again, I hear the bells. I hear the bells. And as the nurse said that, the mother's face broke out in smile. Joy was evident. And she understood. She looked back at the nurse and she said, he's not hallucinating. I told him weeks ago that when the pain in his chest got so bad that it was hard to breathe, it meant that he was going to leave us. It meant he was going to go up to heaven. And when his pain got really bad, I told him to look up in the corner of his room toward his new home in heaven and listen for the bells because they would be ringing for him. And after she told the nurse that, she swooped into her son's room, scooped her boy into her arms, and she held him until the ringing of the bells faded and the boy moved to his new home. You see, that mother's face had joy not because of her circumstances. Her circumstances were terrible. Her face had joy because of the words that connected God's past mercy on the cross to a joyful future in heaven with him. The words of God in in this book, they tower over our circumstances. These words, they do not fade away as our sorrow will. These words, they they are never changing. They, They don't leave us as loved ones do. They're unending, and they're, they're filled with hope. Mary had done that, and she had taken these words of Scripture, and she had, had put them into her life, and those words spilled out of her in this song, despite her circumstances that were less than ideal. You see, these words, we must embed them deep inside of our persons. Psalm 119 earlier, verses 11 through 16 says, I've treasured your word in my heart so that I may not sin against you. Lord, may you be blessed. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I proclaim all the judgments from your mouth. I rejoice in the way revealed by your decrees as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and think about your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. You see, the importance of of reading God's Word and and memorizing passages along the way, it's not just for head knowledge. It's not so that you can master this book or, or know what to do in every situation in life. You see, it may not be a day-altering word that that changes everything about your day whenever you come to Scripture, but it may be a truth, a decree, a promise that God is embedding in your heart for the day that you don't think that you can make it, for the day that doesn't seem possible to to survive. 
Reading your Bible today may plant God's Word in you that will bear fruit 30 years from now as you face your toughest challenge yet. And that's the joy that overflows. It's God's Word that will help you realize future joy because it helps you to remember God's past mercies. Mary's story is an incredible one. When Mary realized the joy that she had, it overflowed. It was magnified in her life. Everyone could tell, right? Like it just, it burst out of her. Jesus, he, he stayed there in her belly for a while, but, but he was already emitting great joy for all to have. Elizabeth and others, John inside of her belly, they had no choice but to respond one way or another, to this God-man named Jesus. And the same joy that inspired Mary to sing a song that day, to rejoice in her Savior, is yours today, if you know Jesus. And it forces you to respond to it. Have you turned from that old self that, that is looking for a hit of happiness, that, that just wants to feel good for a moment? Have you turned from that old self and clung to the joy of Jesus that fulfills you for a lifetime. As you think about that question, I want you to listen closely to Peter's words, 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want you to decide today, do you know Jesus and his joy? 1 Peter chapter 1, we read these words. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Because of his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you. You see, you are being guarded by God's power through faith, for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. And you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which, though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though not seeing him now, you believe in him. And you rejoice with inexpressible and glorious joy because you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you know Jesus and his joy? If today you know Jesus and his joy, here's my request. Would you let that joy overflow in singing as we respond here in just a few minutes. As Mary did in that moment when the joy of Jesus was too much for the room to bear, would you just give yourself to singing to him this morning? You may be off-key, out of tune, and too loud. There's some giggles there. I don't know what that's all about. I don't know who you're sitting next to, but we'll pray for you. Sing anyway. Rejoice anyway. Because if you know Jesus, joy is already yours. Jesus has connected the dots. 
He has already given it to you. You see, we aren't about a hit of happiness that comes from a great show. We are about the deep spring of joy that Christ gives us, overflowing to those around us. This morning, the very best way that you might be able to serve is by letting the joy that you have in Jesus overflow. But if today you find yourself chasing happiness, chasing happiness instead of knowing Jesus and his joy, then my request from you is a little different. Would you turn from the old you that that just wants to be accepted, that just wants to catch a hit of happiness at church this morning? Would you trade that in and be fulfilled by the joy of following Jesus with your life? No more excuses. Simply giving that up and turning to the one who is an everlasting source of pure joy. You can do that right where you are. You don't need any of us to help you. You can have a personal relationship with him. Or you can come back to the back and talk with myself or one of our pastors. But either way, we would love to celebrate with you if you make that decision this morning. Do you know Jesus and his joy? Do you know Jesus and his joy? If you do, let your joy overflow. And if you don't, Turn, turn and give yourself to him and watch as he restores to you the joy of your salvation. Let's pray. Jesus, I I just, uh, I thank you for the truth. The truth of your grace. Like we don't deserve joy. We don't deserve joy. We've done nothing to earn it or to get it. But while we were still weak, you died on the cross and gave it to us anyway. Jesus, if, if, I'm, if I'm just honest with you in this moment, there, there are many mornings where I want to trade that in. It's easier to be bummed. It's easier to, to be the victim. And so, Father, I myself am just praying this morning, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Create inside of me a willing spirit. But Father, this morning I pray for Christ's community, for the people in this room that you would not allow us, that you would keep us from pursuing our own happiness for just a moment, for just long enough to find the joy of knowing you, knowing you deeply, knowing you intimately, clinging to the, the truth and the promise of your word, seeing how good you've already been to us and getting excited about the future that we have with you. Father, for those of us who know you this morning, may our joy overflow as we sing this song, but also as we walk out of this place, as we talk to our neighbors and our our work friends this week, may the joy of Jesus just overflow out of our lives. 
But Father, for those in this place that don't truly know you, that, that are trying their best to find happiness on their own, Father, I pray that you would break them and give them the courage to turn to you and to find pure joy. It's my prayer this morning, Father. Entrusted to you because of all the things that you've already done for us. Thank you, Jesus. We pray all this in your name. Amen.